Welcome to this topical life. Real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. A discussion about life, cause life ain't a vacation. And now, here's your host, Tiffany Murphy. Okay, and welcome to this topical life. And you are listening again to Lindsay McDonald. And we are concluding our three-week podcast about um, all sorts of topics, but mostly about um, relationship problems or just like um, abuse, sexual abuse, um, narcissism, uh, things that um, women today are really struggling with in their marriages and relationships, um, men and women. And um, we're just going to follow through with what we were going to talk about. Last week's we've talked about um gosh i i'm gonna edit Grief. that out i'm gonna edit, i'm just gonna edit that out <laughs> or maybe i won't okay last week let me help you out I, yeah help me out okay so grief. last week was grief and then the week before that was abuse abuse like a general overview of abuse i'd say right maybe like the thirty thousand foot level right like what oh yeah, yeah how to detect abuse in relationship yeah um and then the narcissism narcissism specifically and then today we're actually going to we we're going to discuss all different types of abuse which then will lead into um specifically specifically sexual betrayal what that looks like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how to spot it or how to deal with it the do's and don'ts of that Mm -hmm. and then um lead into how to help kids through trauma but in and in between all of that we'll open up some more topics in between that so anyway here we are last week and I will say this at the end as well but if there happens to be uh, people asking a lot of questions emailing me or facebooking me or messaging me and Lindsay as well then we'll probably do a question and answer where we hear your questions and we answer and you know Mm-hmm. Let your voices be known as well. So here we are. And gosh, I feel like I was just telling Lindsay that I feel like we have to be quiet because it's dark outside. And this is the second time for me to record when it's dark outside, but I feel like I should be like this, like whispering. But your listeners are driving around their cars in broad daylight, right. or running outside. You're probably, you're probably drinking coffee <laughs> and like ready to start your day. And yeah. we're like ready to like crash, Ca- crawl into bed, crawl into bed. But here we are. <clears throat> so let's start. So we, I want to talk about, um, we wanted to start with the forms of abuse. Yeah. I think we, we didn't really touch on that, and I think it's just helpful, kind of like abuse 101 class, yeah. Um, if you want to call it that. And uh, there are, I would say, primary forms of abuse. It's um, me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I put dinging. a Santa box online, and oh my gosh, people are messaging me people for a Santa, Santa box. Boxes. Okay, so if you hear a ding, it's <laughs> dingling. Okay, so abuse um, 101. Abuse 101. So there are, let's see, five, do I have that right, or maybe six, primary forms of abuse. You'll be familiar with most of them. Um, Physical abuse and sexual abuse are probably the two that everybody thinks of that are top of mind. Physical abuse um, has a really broad, broad definition 
it can be anything from what you and I and everybody else thinks of as, you know, hitting, kicking, slapping another person. Um, but it can also be things that most people are scared to um, recognize as physical abuse. That would be things like posturing over another person. So towering over another person to intimidate them or or place fear in them. Um, blocking doorways so that a person, whether it's an adult or a kid, can't get out of a room. Um, uh, touching a, an animal or a pet in anger um, is a big, big one, actually, um, because it is physically hurting, a, usually, a family pet, and it will often be directed by a, a parent or an adult or an authority figure to place fear and intimidation in oftentimes in the life of a child Mm. Um, and you can imagine how traumatic that would be for a kid to see their cat thrown literally out of a second story window or whatever the case may be that falls under the umbrella of physical abuse Um, things like uh, slapping pinching um, uh, what about threats threats is verbal abuse but if if there is a threat there's a high likelihood it will eventually escalate into some form of physical abuse yes statistically threats usually lead to the actual case and and I think it's really important to know that abuse is never neutral it never just stays the same it is either always escalating or always de-escalating but there's no neutrality in oppression or abuse And a lot of people will think, well, this isn't going to get worse. This is as bad as it's ever going to be, so I just need to ride this out. That's not true. It's, I mean, all the research shows abuse only gets worse unless it is stopped. So so that's physical abuse. It's very, very broad. Um, There's emotional and verbal abuse, which is, for lack of a better term, and I don't want to offend your listeners, but it's, I can't think of a better term than calling it mind fuckery. And oh, mind that, fuckery. That's a great. <laughs> Thanks. It's not mine. I borrowed it. Fuckery. Oh my gosh. But we say mind That's games, like, but it's right. not mind games. That is too right. sanitary. That is too, that makes it sound like a fun game. Right. Emotional and verbal abuse is absolute mind games, and it's, most evil worst way so I really struggle to use the word mind games because it's so much more evil than that right so instead I use the term mind fuckery (laughs) it's like debauchery (laughs) like debauchery or like trickery it's (laughs) fuckery (laughs) so we should have it's true it's It's true it's It's the most hidden of the abuses people don't see it you there's no outside appearance of it happening but it is the one that kills from the inside out. So in that sense, all abuse is physical because it eventually kills a person from the inside out. Whether it kills their personhood, kills their sense of worth, actually leads to suicide. Um, but it's really, you know, I hate this, this thought or idea out there of, well, at least it's not physical abuse. BS. Right. All right. abuse is is eventually physical abuse because it's just from the inside out rather than the outside in. Right. Um <clears throat> spiritual abuse, that's when 
somebody of any religious faith, it's not just Christian, but any religious faith can use power and control tactics and play the God card or whatever being they're worshiping as the ultimate authority to get their way. So it's twisting truth and in our Christian worldview, it would be playing the God card to get what you want. Um, or it could be saying, it could be using God as a threat or using scripture as a threat or a way to manipulate the situation. Um, I see this all the time in quote unquote Christian marriages where the oppressive person is saying, well, the Bible tells you to X, Y, and Z when they pull a scripture completely out of context and throw it in the face of the victim. And so now not only do you have do you have this the victim who is usually wanting to do well, meaning to do well, but now they've got all the shame heaped on top of them because well God said I should be doing this. Um <clears throat> so that's spiritual abuse and then uh let's see what else do we have sexual abuse. Mm. Sadly, we sexual abuse is a part of a high percentage of oppressive or toxic marriages and it can go one of two ways it can either be sexual abuse being um, one person using their power and control to force the other person to do acts or um, or perform things that they're not comfortable doing it can go the opposite way or being forced to do it when they don't want to do it when they're sick when they're on their on their period I mean can go any of those directions the second way it can go is total neglect so withholding sex especially in a marriage is a form of control is a form of oppression I'm going to withhold this from you to punish you so we don't often talk about sexual abuse within marriages I personally know of dozens of women who have either been raped in their marriages um, many of them on their honeymoon or where sex has been withheld for years on end Wow! and the victim is always the one to blame for that well if you wouldn't have done this I wouldn't have to withhold sex from you or if you would just be this way then we could have sex but you're not so I can't have sex with you are those people that are withholding are they usually having sex with somebody else Almost always, because let's be real. Everybody wants sex. We're sexual beings. We're made that way, and that's a good and godly thing. Right. So, yes, I've never heard of a case where their sexual desires are not being met elsewhere. Jeez. And usually the neglect is just a form of shaming the victim and making them feel like they're they're the, the reason that this God, person it sounds had like to sexual, abuse, it, sexual abuse is like a physical and emotional abuse all at once. Yeah, it all gets wrapped up. Yep. Which, so then the, this will lead, we'll come back to this in the whole sexual betrayal, but you can see why sexual betrayal is sort of the pinnacle of all the forms of abuse wrapped up into one. And right. we'll come back to that. But um, so sexual abuse is one, people don't like to talk about that one because it is so so filled with toxic shame and so like we just can't believe somebody would actually do that within the confines of a marriage but it is or people don't want to talk about it because they're embarrassed yeah 
Yeah. Or like, who do people have to go to to talk about that? Me. Well, yeah. <laughs> LazyMcDonald.com. That's where you go. Okay. No. Yeah, but seriously. If you, and I would say this for all abuse, get a good counselor who knows how to handle oppression or toxic relationships or abuse, whatever you want to call it. Find a counselor who specializes in that because as much as people want to think any counselor will do, it's unless you have dealt with the monster that abuse is, it's, it's in a league of its own. It's got dynamics that are completely opposite of the way you and I view the world. You and I as somewhat emotionally healthy human beings see the world as red. But an oppressor sees the world as blue and will convince you Right. actually convince you like that it is blue yes right smart people are in abuse relationships oh incredibly highly, highly intelligent. intelligent this is not this is everybody susceptible yeah everybody's susceptible there's no yeah unfortunately there's no safeguard unless i don't know you know these what we're talking about yeah we're talking about how to look for that yep yep so um financial abuse is another big one okay. that's using uh obviously finances to control another person and you have a lot of women in faith-based communities who are stay-at-home moms who have put their careers aside to raise little ones um and i have seen oh more women than i want to even count who have just been financially devastated because they were never given access to passwords access to bank accounts access to credit cards access to know what their family budget was and so now their whole world is shattered by either a cheating husband or or an abusive oppressive husband and they have no idea where their finances are where their bank accounts are where what investments they have um financial abuse can also be only giving uh, the other partner let's say a m- minor amount of money or minimal amount of money to survive on and say come on you're frugal you can do this I know I mean that is very common where a woman is put on a budget of let's say $300 to make sh- groceries for a family of eight stretch all month Jeez. and then if she doesn't do it she's shamed and condemned and belittled and blamed for the financial you know, you're just, you spend way too much money. If you didn't spend so much, we wouldn't have to blah, 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 whatever he's going to shame you with. Um, So financial abuse is real, and there are really great books written by um, one that probably my favorite book on financial abuse is called, I believe it's called Financial Abuse by Shannon Thomas. That's a really good one. Um, and then I would say, lastly, let's see what you've done. Physical, emotional, verbal, spiritual, um, sexual. Oh, the one that I see popping up more and more and more is digital digital abuse. And um, I see this a lot with tech-savvy men, usually, or, sadly, police officers who know how to tap phones who know how to get into any account you have ever gotten into even if you have switched all your passwords they somehow can still access all of your information and they or they'll tap your house i know of women who are terrified in their own home and they know their houses are bugged 
Oh my god. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more of a problem. So um, police forces are being trained on how do you handle this digital this digital control um, because a woman usually has no idea how do I how do I I mean you throw away your phone and you get a new phone but then usually the person's savvy enough that they'll just So that tap sounds like kind of like stalkerish. Yeah. So like yeah. digital stalkery. Yeah. Yeah. Fuckery stalkery. <laughs> but like how do you <laughs> I think you just coined an stalkery. awesome new term. <laughs> but like how is that abuse like well that's like obsessive. So mm-hmm. like how so it's, it's a form it's of a, control. Right. Okay, a form of control. That's the distinguished yeah. Is that's what makes it abusive is the form of control. Yeah. All abuse at its foundation is a power and control over another person for selfish game, gain at the expense of the other person. That's the very definition of abuse. Power and control. Everything comes back to power and control for the person who wants to be in control right. for the oppressor or the abuser. And then the last form of abuse that a lot of people don't think about is neglect. Mm. Neglect is a form of abuse because you are not meeting the God-given needs of a human being, whether it is, um, you know, practical things like food, water, and shelter. Right. There are plenty of parents who are neglecting their children and emotionally neglecting them. And this is this is often how a narcissist is um, raised and how they eventually become a narcissist in adulthood is their childhood was filled with emotional neglect and often physical neglect. And so they don't trust anybody. They have to have their needs met in unhealthy ways um, because they have been neglected. So that is... People don't often think of that, but when you see extreme neglect emotionally or physically, you should, in your mind, be thinking, huh, I wonder, you know, what devastation is happening there, what brokenness is is there. Right. Yeah. And also just even when dating somebody or, you know, look at their family history. Watch how they treat their mom. And watch how they treat the cashier at the grocery store, the mm-hmm. waitress at the restaurant. Because then you've got somebody, you know, their, their mom is is someone that ought to be prized and loved and treasured in mm-hmm. their lives. Highly esteemed. And on the other end of the spectrum, a waitress or a cashier is someone that is serving you. So how does the, your, the person you're dating, and this is what I tell my kids all the time, how do they treat their mom? who is someone that should be highly esteemed and how do they treat someone that is in a servant role to them temporarily? I mean, they're just serving them dinner at a restaurant, right? But that is a huge window into how that person would treat you. Right. Yeah. And to keep looking for those things, yellow flags, pink flags, all of it, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, with all of that, so that's all the abuse, right? Those yep. are all the forms. Those are okay. all the forms. So then, those are the forms of abuse, and now now you have a PhD in abuse. I do. We <laughs> all do. We all do. And so now, sexual betrayal. Oh, the doozy. Yeah. So the doozy. Moving on to the next topic, which sexual betrayal and marriage, and mm-hmm. included with that, the do's and don'ts. So, you know. 
we're segueing into this because forms of abuse can lead to sexual betrayal. I mean, narcissisms, mm -hmm. narcissists have not all of them, but a lot of them have sexual tendencies that are mm -hmm. inappropriate or right abusive. Yeah. Um, so sexual abuse seems to be the prominent thing that you seem to run into. Is that true? I would say that all, almost all abusers eventually sexually betray their partner, um, whether it is in the form of pornography or um, hiring Prostitute. prostitutes, uh, strip clubs, an actual person that they're in a relationship with. So almost all abusers eventually are cheaters not all cheaters are abusers so there are those people who genuinely own their mistake feel horrible about it do a 180 in their actions mm -hmm. we don't care about their words and we'll get into that we do not care about a cheater's words we care about their actions and there are those people who are genuinely repentant sure. and sorry um but in the context of abuse abuse, and specifically narcissistic abuse, yes, they almost always are also cheaters. So how do we approach the do's and don'ts? So an example would be um, you find out what, like, what are some red flags, yellow flags, but like mm -hmm. how do we want to yeah. work that? Um, well, I would say... Some things to be, some yellow flags. I mean, if a person is questioning, and I'll use the word woman, but it's oftentimes the man mm -hmm. who is being betrayed. So it goes both ways. Correct. But um, I'll just keep using the term woman and the pronouns she and her. If she's wondering if he's being faithful, likely he's not being faithful. Because that in a healthy marriage, that should that would not even be in question. Or if it was in question, it would be cl quickly cleared up with healthy, honest, vulnerable, 100% transparent conversations by two emotionally, decently emotionally adults. Right. So if a woman is persistently questioning, is he cheating, is he cheating, is, what, where is he right now? Did he really go on this business trip or did he just go to her house? You know, who, did he really go out for drinks with coworkers or was it actually a female coworker that he went out for drinks with? Um, just the very fact that you are questioning it means you need to have your alarm bells on high alert. So some things you would want to be watching out for is um, phone secrecy is huge now that we have cell phones if if the if your partner will not hand over his or her phone at any given time you know maybe there are those rare exceptions where your spouse works for the fbi but let's be serious that's not the vast right. majority of the population right so you can't see his phone but for any normal person who does not work for the cia or the fbi we got that excuse out of the way right if they do not hand over their phone at a moment's notice and let you see anything on their phone, that is a huge, huge red flag. Right. 
because phones are how we communicate now and they're very easy to lock down and be secretive with. So a safeguard would be, hey, I get to look at my partner's phone at any time and they can look at mine at any time. That would be a healthy boundary. And once the trust is built truthfully, you don't have reason to, like you with Brian, you're probably like, I don't care what's on his phone because it's not even a question. Right. So phone secrecy is huge. Um, Simple things like, did they stop wearing their wedding ring? Did they make up an excuse of, oh, I lost my wedding ring and it, it, it just goes missing for months on end, but then mysteriously reappears on a family trip when they're going to be with your parents or your extended family or best friends from years past, you know, and then the wedding ring goes missing again after the trip is over. That's a yellow flag. Things like late nights at work. I mean, the obvious ones going out for drinks, picking up new hobbies away from the family. There is nothing wrong with hobbies. We all need to find what feeds our souls and right. and keeps us being healthy parents and spouses. Absolutely. But is it a pattern where your spouse is doing these hobbies with people you have you don't know, doing overnight trips? Are they co-ed overnight trips without you? Um, does the hobby include lots and lots of money? Could you, would you ever be invited to go on that hobby? What if you said, hey, I want to come along with you on this on this hobby, hobby. <laughs> whatever it is, if it's kayaking or, you know, skiing or whatever it is. In the Northwest, that's what we think of. Right. <laughs> we yeah. think of outdoor stuff. <laughs> kayaking, hiking. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, you're going to go try a new restaurant? Great, I'll come with you. And then sort of insert yourself into that new hobby and see how they react. If you get all sorts of excuses about why you would not be welcome on that I- I- adventure, that's a huge red flag. Right. Um, traveling alone, uh, that's a big one because usually if there's adultery involved, it will eventually, obviously, lead to overnight trips. Um, or at the very least, really, really late night trips. Um, smelling alcohol on their breath when they come home do they quickly brush their teeth do they act fidgety when they come home I mean there's lots of different ways you can you can tell another um, another yellow flag or red flag I guess would be has their behavior or their treatment toward you changed so people who are committing some acting out sexually in secrecy that they know their partner would not be okay with, they'll do one of two things with their partner. And it's all to appease their own conscience. The person will either do what's called love bombing, which means they will shower their spouse with love. What do you, Buy them gifts. What do you want to go do? Hey, do you want to go buy some new outfits? Or let's take a big trip or start spoiling your kids. That's all love bombing, just gushing, gushing the love where it hasn't happened. That's not the normal patterns of your relationship with this person. On the flip side of that is becoming extra, extra mean. Um, Very demeaning, very belittling. Just their words are jaggers almost all the time. They're so angry that you're in the way of them having this outside relationship that the treatment of you and the kids gets worse. Mm. So 
try to differentiate, has his behavior changed? Is he doing the love bombing or is he turning into the ultra mean person? And that will help you decipher. Um, none of that tells you what they're doing. Right. But those are confirms the, those are very common behaviors of a person who is sexually betraying you. Yeah. So then in your experience, um, and with talking with women and all that stuff, what are, so someone finds out it is confirmed. There has been sexual Mm -hmm. stuff going on, betrayal, adultery, whatever it is, porn, sexual betrayal. So what are the do's and don'ts of that? Like what, Mm -hmm. okay, you found out it's for reals. Mm Mm-hmm. And your entire world upends, uh, and you have the wind knocked out of you, and you've gotten hit by a Mack truck. I mean, I don't know how else to describe what that's like. It is like you absolutely feel like you have been all but demolished. I I, I truly can't explain. And I, this is my personal experience, but it, I it's how every woman I've helped has responded. Yeah, even women that or, or men that that even kind of had suspicion yes even that those yellow or red flags like like oh okay well maybe yeah but then to actually find out yeah. it's like a whole different because it, i mean our sexual lives are the most intimate vulnerable part of our lives and when that's been destroyed your very being is called into question in every way what part of our relationship was ever real so when he said this to me or when he took us on this trip, was that was that just because he was feeling guilty for the trip he went on the month before with her? I mean, you call into question every conversation you had in your relationship, every gift you were ever given by your spouse. It, it completely upends anything you thought may be true. Now, a lot of those things probably were true and genuine in your relationship, but that sifting through process is absolutely gut-wrenching and at the beginning you will have multiple kicks in the gut is how I referred to them I mean like minute by minute in the very very beginning stages after you discover the truth you will have epiphanies on an hourly basis of oh my gosh when he did this or when he said that or when we got in this argument it wasn't about that. It was about this. And you start connecting these dots. And I, I called them epiphanies or punches in the gut because you, with everyone, literally, you're, you get your breath taken away and you feel like, I can't, I can't have another epiphany. I can't do this again. And then another one comes. And as you get further and further out from D-Day, which is what people call Discovery Day, the day you find out what has really been happening, the further you get out from D-Day, the more infrequent those epiphanies and those punches in the gut will become. But those first few weeks and months, you're having epiphanies all the time. And it is absolutely, that's when you're in crisis mode and you need to bring your people around you mm-hmm. as fast as possible to help you actually continue to live the, continue to run your life, especially if you have kids. Right. Um, and continue to do the practical things of running your life because you are busy having epiphanies and waking up to what really just happened and what really was the truth of going on in your relationship. And if it's been long-term, it's even harder because there are just that many more memories to process, that many more 
conversations you thought were under one premise and now you know they were a complete lie. So the longer the betrayal went on, the more those, the longer the, those epiphanies will, will last. So, so, um, with the do's and don'ts of that, like there's kind of like two segments. So like, okay, you find out, get your people around you. And then what if it's someone who's a narcissist, say like someone who actually, you find out that they actually did, you know, cheat or whatever. Yeah. And then they deny it. Like what are, or or like how they're a narcissist, they will, they, they might not deny it. They are the king of half truths though. So they might tell you just enough to look repentant or to look sorry, or they might give you just enough tears to appear genuine. But if it's a narcissist, you absolutely stop deading your tracks and go against everything in your being, and you no longer trust their words. You only trust their actions. The actions will do the talking. There's a Henry David Thoreau quote that says, your, your actions are speaking so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And I cannot tell you how many times I had to say that to myself and to my former spouse over and over and over because the words that come out are beautiful, right. eloquent, but the actions are what you believe and you fire yourself from believing any of the words. Right. Which, Which is, is totally to yeah. counterintuitive and totally not what our personalities want. want. Especially <laughs> when you're in love with somebody. Yes. I mean, you want to... Yeah. Yeah. So if so, there, so what is that? Like, what do we do? Like we find out. Okay. So you're in at D-Day. If at all possible, you talk to somebody. I mean, if you are already in counseling because you've already been working through issues in your marriage, the best person to go to would probably be your counselor. Um, but if not your counselor, then one, two, or maybe three trusted, trusted friends Um, who will believe you and not minimize it, not excuse it away, not say, well, you should this is going to be hard, but you, you can reconcile. You do not want to hear about reconciliation for a very, very long time as the one who's been betrayed. You absolutely will about punch somebody that tells you to reconcile because your anger is so huge at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so do not if at all possible, go directly to the spouse that has betrayed you. And this is especially true if it is a narcissist, if he or she is a narcissist, because any information you give them is bullets to them. Any information you share with them will be, will add to their, they're very, very calculated and very smart. So they'll say, well, she, so she found this out this much. So I'll admit to that. But all the rest of this she doesn't know, I'll never have to say any of that. So they're very, very sneaky and devious. Well, and that's the thing about narcissism too. It's like they are sneaky. They are these things. And yet are they thinking those things? Like I'm going to wait till this and this and this and this. Or they just naturally do that. Like I think that's always the question with narcissism is that how much do they know that they're doing versus how much is – 
they're naturally just yeah. acting that way. Like yeah. it's almost like wired into who they are. It, it has become wired into who they are. It is a learned behavior. Nobody is born a narcissist. Right. It's a learned behavior. It is a learned behavior. But, but like what? But like, okay, say D Day comes and they just. I mean, it's almost like computed. It's like so learned. It's that automatic. It's, almost, it's automatic. Yeah. Yeah. But they're but it's so automatic that they're not thinking like. I'm going to wait till if she doesn't say this and I'm going to say this. It's like not yeah. calculated like oh, in that exact moment or is it? It often is. Okay. It so is very calculated. It is very calculated. They yeah. actually know that they're calculating. They're not even consciously thinking about it. So it's, it's, I think it's both and truthfully. Okay. It is calculated, but they're not necessarily consciously thinking about their behavior because – that's the anomaly of narcissism. I know. They don't see their own behavior. They have no ability to self-reflect. So it is calculated, but it's also a lot of the time, I don't know that I would say a lot of the time, some of the time it is completely subconscious. It is just how they've learned to behave for years on end. And it's worked out really well for them when it's with a intimate partner who doesn't have healthy boundaries who has let them get away with controlling the vast majority of their marriage right so truthfully it's been a pretty sweet gig for them you know right until d-day comes until d-day comes and or <laughs> until a woman yeah. gets healthy or mm-hmm. or a man if the man is the mm-hmm. victim gets healthy and starts laying down some of those very healthy, godly boundaries and saying it's not okay to treat me or any human being on the face of this planet this way or whatever small, tiny baby step of boundaries the person is starting to make, the narcissist will hate it because who hates boundaries any more than the, than the people who actually need them? Right. Yeah. They go against every part of their nature. Oh, yeah. How they've... Yeah, developed. So don't way. go directly to the person who has betrayed you because you will be an emotional wreck. You will spew things you don't want to spew. Your mouth, you have no filter on your mouth. And you will likely regret a lot of what you say. Um, you will also probably, if it is a true cheater who doesn't have the ability to self-reflect, probably get sucked into their pity party. And you'll be right back to saying, oh, but they didn't mean it. I mean, shoot, he didn't mean to just slip into her vagina. Right. <laughs> if it I just can put it. happened. Right. <laughs> he tripped and there it went. Right. No. Right. There was a hole. <laughs> it happened. Oh, God. See, you, you yeah. got to laugh. You got to right. laugh. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I think when you can be that blatantly just not own up to it. Yeah. In any way. Or own up to it and then make someone actually feel sorry for yeah. you. Yeah. Or like, I just can't even wrap my... Yeah, and, just... you, and, the, and the reason you don't talk directly to the person who has betrayed you, it is the hardest thing to stay silent, act normal, and get some counsel and some wisdom on how to handle this slowly and methodically and wisely mm-hmm. with outside counsel because you are not thinking clearly at that right. point. It's just too much to ask of any human being on the face of the planet. So um, I would say go slow in what you what you discuss with the person who has betrayed you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say some other do's are 
get into a counseling or um, sexual betrayal support group as quickly as you can. They're, they're all over the nation. Um, there's a great one here in the Northwest by a ministry called Pure Desire. Um, and they won't push you back toward reconciliation. Um, so they'll, let, they'll give you the freedom to decide when and if you're going to reconcile. Um, and now, and then I guess I would say the biggest thing is saturate your mind on God's word. That is your grounding force. If, I mean, like me, I'm, I love Jesus. I'm a, I'm the, he's my steadying force. Mm -hmm. And so that is when I would literally spend hours upon hours listening. I couldn't read the Bible, but I could listen to it and just saturating on scripture because it will center you. It will give you grounding when you feel like your entire world has no footing, no sense of, yeah, shattered. Yeah. And you're trying to hold it together for your kids. And yeah, that in and of itself is an animal. Yeah. Um, Which we are going to tackle that too. Yeah. Yeah. I would say some of the don'ts are don't trust his words we've talked about that actions mean more than the words yep you are now looking for words i'm sorry actions <laughs> sorry <laughs> eh, edit that <laughs> <laughs> no they need to hear we need to hear it again you are now not words you actions. are now looking totally for actions uh and it will be months of actions and the person that is truly repentant and sorry realizes they have lost all rights to restoration of the relationship they fractured the marriage. They they abandoned their covenants. And if they're truly remorseful and sorry and have godly sorrow over it, they will realize all the power, all the decision-making is, is in the hands of the person who has been betrayed. When and how they want to rebuild their trust is up, that trust is up to them. So the power shifts, whereas... In the adultery or in the um, sexual betrayal, the power and the control was all in the hands of the betrayer. He was hiding it. He was controlling it. He was using finances to fund that relationship. He was in charge of when he would be with that other person or on the internet or whatever the case was. He controlled all those dynamics. Once it has come to the light and the truth is known, that shift that power and that control shifts to the person who has been betrayed and it is within their rights their god-given rights Mm -hmm. to say here's how i need you to rebuild rebuild trust here's the timeline or i don't know the timeline this could be years in the making before this i mean it is years in the making truthfully Mm -hmm. i mean these people who say they have reconciled two months after it's happened it's it may be genuine but you just don't know because truth and time go hand in hand and never forget that truth and time go hand in hand so if it's true remorse it will it will stay steadfast it will stand the test of time and also keeping in mind that you know the one that had the betrayal knows what's been going on a long time yes someone who just was completely blindsided yes they have to work through all that stuff yes and they're the ones who have just got dumped on yeah so that's an excellent point excellent point so like 
if if you're the one who is committing the adultery or the sexual betrayal, you, truthfully, you left the marriage emotionally, physically, when that relationship started. You you abandoned You've, your covenant. You yeah. fractured your covenants. You fractured your vows. So you've been out of this marriage for sometimes years. Right. Whereas the the person betrayed and the kids, it's brand spanking new. It is fresh and raw. And that's often a real struggle for the betrayer to grasp. Right. Why is it taking so long? Why can't you just get over this? Right. Why can't you forgive? Well, are you kidding me? It's flipping a month old or it's flipping two years old. For you, it's been 10 years, you know. Right. Yeah. There is that disparity. That's a great point. I, I, I've, I have seen that for sure. Yeah. The yeah. impatience of the one waiting for someone to get over it. Yes. Is. Sorry, not your right. You yeah. ripped up the husband card. Well, and usually, too, is that um, I've heard counselors say, too, that, um, like, say, in not a narcissist marriage, but, like, a marriage that has been fractured. Mm-hmm that two somewhat healthy people mm-hmm. that um because I think we're all kind of you know let's just say somewhat healthy people yeah that uh the the person um oh my gosh I totally lost my train of thought <laughs> I completely <laughs> like lost my gone. thought. Like, it couldn't have anything to do with the out. fact that it's I, 10 know, p.m. at night, could it? It could, but I have to say this. I have to say this. Yesterday, I I haven't been taking vitamins, okay? Yesterday, I started taking vitamins. We interrupt this podcast to give you a vitamin commercial. <laughs> For Walmart vitamins. Vitafusion or something like that. Something cheap. But I locked my keys in the car on Father's Day. Brian had to watch the kids like the whole day because I locked my phone, my keys, my wallet, like everything. And I was your brain. It had gone and stayed in the car and I locked itself in there. And I'm telling you, I'm since summer started, I've like freaking lost, lost it. So you guys lost, I lost the thought. So gone. Just don't cheat. (laughs) Would you just not cheat? And we wouldn't even have to have this podcast. Just don't do it. You know, just don't do it. A couple more, well, two more don'ts. Don't yeah. just, uh, well, and this is particularly if your cheater is an abuser, an oppressor, don't assume closure. You're never going to get it. Don't assume there will be reconciliation because likely they want to keep their betrayal going. And if they don't want to, uh, if they want to, if the other person says they want to reconcile, likely what they will do is pit the sexual addiction that they have been living in and the spouse against each other. So they'll use it as leverage. Well, if you would perform these sex acts or if you would treat me this way, I wouldn't have to act out sexually. Right. And it's called the pick me dance. Who are you going to pick? And so the wife is constantly on like a hamster wheel running as fast as she can to try to, to, to try to be the person that is picked so that he doesn't have to act out sexually. So do you see how, all of the onus of the of the betrayer's behavior is now on the wife. Right. It's crazy. Right. So so don't assume reconciliation. That will only be known with time because truth and time go hand in hand and that will only be known by his actions, not his words. Don't assume 
that he will take responsibility for his actions. In fact, you will likely be blamed for the sexual addiction or the sexual betrayal. Um, that's very, very common, especially when it's, when it's with a narcissist. And so you learn to just get really thick skin and really clear on what you will own and what you won't own in the relationship. You'll do the self-reflection of what part did I play in this? Well, and that's what I was going to actually say before was that. <gasps> did yeah, your thought come I back? Did. My thoughts, they, yes! they might not stay, but they're here. <laughs> that in the marriage too, that, you know, when something like that happens in a marriage, usually there are something in the marriage is not, not in an abusive relationship, say just normal, like say abuse is out of it. It's yeah. just sexual betrayal Yeah, yeah. that there ha- were problems in the marriage. Yes. You know, so, yes. so here the person that got cheated on is thinking, Oh my gosh, like completely fractured, completely just broken. And then the person that is in waiting for them to get over it, they're just like, well, you need to get over it. We had, pro-, you know, like they're both recognize he's or she is recognizing the problems that they had in their marriage. Mm-hmm. Whereas the person that just found out is like, wait a second, I need to get over the fact that this just happened. Yes. Then we can evaluate yes. what was wrong in our marriage. Yes. It's a double whammy. It is a total double whammy. Interesting. It's for the person that it happens to, yes. I feel like. Yes. Interestingly enough, all the research shows that the effects of sexual betrayal are the same and abuse, as a matter of fact, or oppression, whatever you want to call it, all the the um, outcomes or effects of that on the victim are the same symptoms that a soldier on the front lines of a war shows with PTSD. Whoa. So when you've been hit by the Mack truck of sexual abuse or oppression or, and other forms of abuse, you are exhibiting the same symptoms as somebody with post-traumatic stress disorder and don't minimize that exactly don't minimize it i mean look what the soldiers go through so yeah and i think it's so true like too it's like when kids are involved Mm. and you get that pressure of moving on Mm -hmm. so quickly yes like yeah so i would say the top thing is making sure the people that you're surrounded with are the people that you really yeah really 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 have the grace and understanding to understand all of that yep yep your circle um gets really close really fast you tighten your circle up and you you find out you decide very quickly who is in my innermost circle and those are the people who will help you think clearly who will give you the wisdom that you need who will help guide you as you guide your children because the, uh, there's this perception out there that kids shouldn't be told about sexual betrayal or sexual addiction. And that is true if the kids are really young. But it's not very, it does not take kids very long. In other words, they're still at a fairly young age when they already have instincts or intuitions about what is happening. And so you actually are not really hiding much from them. And a lot of counselors will say it's better to err on the side of appropriate honesty with kids because they see it anyway. They are absorbing way more than you ever think they are. So so that could lead into the next. There we go. That, that is a perfect segue <laughs> to the next. Yes. Well, are we covered with the do's and don'ts with recognizing? I think so. Um, I was going to say one other thing. Oh, one thing on the do side that I forgot to say is... 
if you have an attorney, if you're already into mm. the legal separation or divorce issue, do talk to your attorney before you talk to the your partner who has betrayed you, because there are legal, can be legal ramifications for a, what they call a third party relationship. That's a very sanitary way of saying uh, uh, the person who has cheated with your partner. So make sure you do get legal counsel if that if you think that's going to be a part of your story or it already is a part of your story. Like, can you explain that real quick? Like, you mean the <clears throat> what's a part of the story? Like the person that the the cheater with the person? Yeah, like there may have been unethical uses of technology. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Finances. If it, if it's child porn that is oh, the sexual addiction, okay. You have to, if it involves anyone of a minor age, you have to be so careful. If you're in the middle of a divorce proceeding, there may be, the legal term for it is waste and dissipation. That means what marital funds were used to fund this third-party relationship. So there's all sorts of legal ramifications. And I am not an attorney, but I feel like I got a mini legal education through my story. Absolutely. But you do want to consult your attorney if, if you have any question that there might be legal ramifications and you have seen a lot of legal ramifications through women that you've talked to oh yes most of the time not good yeah most of the time and you're saying that would prevent that would be talking sooner get your attorney involved on this as quickly as possible or at least up to speed on what you've just discovered yes okay yes that's great advice um I guess one thing we haven't touched on is how do you how do you as the one who's been betrayed handle if it is an actual person how do you handle that actual oh other right. person the person that you want to go rip their head off yeah let's just call Say it, it what it, it is, is. <laughs> you want to go there and show them what is up in all Christian love <laughs> yes right right um, your instinct will be to to go let that person have a piece of your mind and do every evil thing imaginable to that person because they've just imploded your family and usually they've been fed total lies about you and who you are as a person who you are as a mom so you have to be very very um go against every emotion in you and just about every situation this takes tremendous wisdom so i hate to um speak in all or nothings but very rarely is there a reason to go to the person if it is an adulterous relationship that you're dealing with. Very rarely is there a reason, a good, godly, wise reason to go to that person who your spouse has cheated with. For the very fact that, number one, they won't believe who you are because they have almost always been fed a huge bath of lies about you. So you will look like the crazy ex-wife. You won't convince them because they're under the same now sweet-talking, articulate deception that you were under in your relationship. They're being the, those same character traits about your narcissistic par- partner are now carried into that new relationship. So. There's no reason for that person to believe you over the person they have been in the adulterous relationship with, i.e. your spouse. Right. Um, so I would seek great, great counsel before you ever write a letter, go talk to that person, 
And, and this is where, you know what? God is a God of justice and the truth comes out and it is not your job to seek vengeance on that person. In fact, you can look at that person eventually, I promise, when you're in the very beginning stages of D-Day, you won't believe this, but you will eventually come to see that person as just as broken as your partner. Because there's no reason they would ever have been willing to be kept a secret, sometimes for years on end, if they didn't have their own brokenness that they were dealing with. Right. You have no idea what their childhood was like, how broken they are. Right. Because why would someone value themselves so little that they're willing to be involved with a married person right. for years on end and not want to be out in the open? They're willing to be hidden and kept a secret and be secondary. Right. So you have to wonder, how broken is that person themselves? And if you can try... And this is not easy to do, but if you can try to see them as a broken individual who they themselves are probably being fed a bundle of lies. Well, it's guaranteed they are. Yeah. Because Otherwise the facts they, remain. Yeah, the facts remain. You're right. Yeah. But it's it's not it's it is there's nothing in It's just you, you wanna take you wanna take that anger and you wanna spew it right on them. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you. I mean, it's, is, you're just looking right. for the place to to put it. Yeah, you can put it in your journal. You can scream and you find a safe place where you literally can scream and yell. And those waves of grief that we talked about right. last time, oh, they will come in hot and heavy, hot and heavy. I've never cussed so much in my life as I did the months following adultery. I have never screamed so much, so much. I didn't know my body was capable of such anger. I'm not an angry person. I'm, I don't tend to be a bitter person. But what I saw come out of me was like, wow, that Weird. was shocking. <laughs> Thankfully, I had very safe people around right. me who yeah. just Except helped me through totally. that and let me know this is just for a season. But find that safe place and those safe people who can hear all that venom, all that anger that you have to release. For me, I, I if I Thank couldn't... Thank you did. I know. I'm so, so grateful. So grateful. So get your peeps around you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the consistent vibe I'm getting here yep. is that you got to have... Well, and then there's support groups too. Like when yes. you were saying... Um, I know you mentioned some, but like just you when someone comes to like the woman in the store with the grief she yeah. just knew you were in grief like those are the kind of people I would want to be around the people that already kind of know what you're experiencing yeah. and they can walk you through it rather than you having to like tell you your story yeah blah, blah, blah. I mean that's yeah for a counselor you yeah. know that make you to the next step yes <laughs> especially know? when that grief is so raw you're you can't control it. No, you cannot control it. You might be hunched over the toilet puking because you're crying so hard. Like, those are very, very, you feel very out of control in those moments. Like, what has just happened to me? This is not who I am. So to have, I would say, a, a trained counselor who loves Jesus like you do and will help you navigate this with a worldview that you're on board with and then also 
your people around you. And, and support groups, I feel like, are huge because there are people who get it. Well, right. They're, they're speaking your language. Yes. Yes. And maybe their sexual betrayal is different is all this. slightly different but all the all the overarching character traits are the same and so just having three or four other people in the same room who are all dealing with the same rage and yet yearning and miss this person all at the same time they get they get that yeah I think support groups are huge right yeah so then with leading into <sighs> with the kid part of it now the whole other layer of having yeah. to deal with this kind of stuff yeah. is throwing the kids in there too. Yeah. And so, I so uh, yeah. in your personal experience, four kids, four kids, four kids. And yeah. I want to be sensitive to my kids' own stories and right, not, right, um, right, 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 right. Share their details. But I suffice it to say, kids are not stupid. They often have the other parent pegged before you as the spouse are even willing to admit that what the kids are seeing may be true. So kids are able to, um, sometimes are able, because they tend to be more black and white. We add on all these gray layers as adults with issues. Right. But kids tend to see things pretty black and white. So if they see dad not you know, not coming on vacation anymore with, with us or dad all of a sudden is traveling extensively or um, dad's not wearing the wedding ring. Um, the kids pick up on that stuff and they will often call out the truth long before you're willing to even see it because you don't want to believe that about your spouse. But kids are like, well... That speaks pretty for black itself. and white. That speaks for itself. Right? Um, so you have to just really tread carefully and wisely with your kids. Their ages matter a whole ton. Their emotional maturity matters a whole ton. The older the kids are, the more you should be appropriately honest with them because all the research shows that appropriate honesty is way better in the long run for reconciling both parents or either parent to the children than hiding and secrecy. Usually it's when um, hiding and secrecy are not told to the kids. And then if they are to find out the truth way down the road, oh boy, you've just lost that kid's heart almost completely. So those are the much harder situations. Um, every person has to navigate them that the, the whole kid issue themselves of what to say, what not to say. But what I, I guess the clear message is do not give your kids more of a burden than they can and should handle. Err on the side of not giving them a bigger piece of luggage to carry than they can handle. And you're saying by telling them that is not giving them the bag, like by tell to a certain extent, it's helping them. It depends on the kids. Depends yeah. on the kids. Yeah. So error on the side of not giving them more than they need. Or, right. Well, however you said that. But, right. like, that does include telling them for some kids. For some kids, it. I mean, I've seen because it go down both the road, ways. Because down the road, then they find out yeah. that. And then it's, yeah. okay, their luggage is now yeah. too much. It, and it can be as simple as, uh, you know, the parents, there's been sexual betrayal 
but neither parent mentions it to the children. They've decided they're not going to mention that. And then, oh, lo and behold, dad, we're, let's, since we've made dads to be the bad ones in this right. whole thing, let's make a woman be a bad one okay. just for this example. Yeah. Um, let's say the woman was the one who betrayed the husband and she all of a sudden, wow, within three or six months, she's found the new love of her life and they're married. That is hugely confusing to kids. And what, and then the new spouse is in their lives, living in their home, there's a new marriage, and then it slips of, well, do you remember when we went on that trip last year? And a kid's sitting there and hears that comment and goes, wait, what do you mean last year? How long have you guys known each other? And it just takes a small comment like that to blow all the doors open for a kid. So that's what I'm saying, just be... You think your kid's never going to pick up on it, but all it takes is one comment, and kids are smart. And they put two and two together, and they put connect dots that you never think they're going to connect, and that can really backfire on you. So I will not advocate necessarily for telling your kids about sexual betrayal or not telling them. I would just say that is get counsel on that ideally from your counselor who has walked the road from you maybe who knows your kids seek counseling from your closest friends who know the relationship dynamics in your family and then make your decision yeah so like you know counseling obviously would be ideal mm-hmm. if all the mm-hmm. kids could somehow get counseling or you know like yeah. for families i that can't get counseling or that just doesn't happen, or mm-hmm. the relationship is just too broken for the mom or the dad to even deal with the even thought of taking kids to counseling. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. So, what are some things that either the one who is broken or like just trying in the survival mode of things mm-hmm. um, suggestions might be spending um, more time together? Yeah, that you. What are some like? I mean, if we. So we've zeroed in on how does sexual betrayal affect kids, but let's let's put a macro lens on this and say how does um, how does oppression or abuse in the home at all right right affect kids right I mean as because we they're said, they're aware oh and often the recipient almost always the recipient of some of the abuse right so yeah um, so let's take more of a macro lens yeah. of it and how do you help a kid not not take on those behaviors and those coping mechanisms that the oppressor or the abuser or the toxic person has um, has set modeled. up, has modeled, thank you. Um, and how do you help a kid gain the emotional intelligence to break that cycle? Because I guarantee if there is not purposeful training against oppression and abuse, they will go into adulthood with those learned behaviors because it's what's been modeled to them, right? right. We know this. Right. I mean, the classic more is caught than taught. Yeah. It's, it's just the way it is. So to help kids with that, I think a huge thing is um, is helping kids find see where their value and their worth come, comes from mm-hmm. because if you really if you really believe that you are valuable, you are you were a precious, precious jewel made perfectly just the way you are. There were no mistakes when you were made. 
if you start to believe that as a little kid, you go, wait a second, it's not okay for somebody to treat me like I'm stupid or to bully me like I'm not important. And so just filling in them with that um, sense of I am valuable and I am loved just the way I am is really key. So you could, uh, I mean, there's tons of children's books written about stuff like this. You could go to your local library and say, how can I, where would you have books about kids' value, kids' worth, kids' identity? Um, I've Give got, me the books. Yeah. Show up. Give yeah. me the books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, counseling for kids is really, really good. Um, so you could even do it. Uh, you could process, help, help them process situations that they have that are peer-to-peer. So it's not, you're not bringing up the offending parent and helping them process that because that could be offensive to the offending parent. But you would maybe have as your kid comes home with a bullying situation from school and you help them process the same principles that you want them to learn in how to handle the abuse that's going on at home, but you teach them those principles through this bullying situation that's happening at school. Okay. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. So you might say you know, the classic, I wonder how you, I wonder questions are really good. Ask kids, I wonder questions. I wonder how that made you feel when he pushed you on the playground and, you know, just letting them verbally process that or, you know, you, and and then always telling them that you believe they are capable of handling it in a wise, mature way. I think you're really going to, handle this well you you really do a great job handling conflict just pouring even if they're not totally there yet as a kid if they hear wow my mom really thinks I can handle this Mm -hmm. they really will grow into that high standard that you have set for them um analogies word pictures work beautifully with kids so helping them like the whole waves and grief Mm -hmm. They're going to have their own set of waves living in a toxic home with an oppressor or an abuser. And it might be acting out in anger. It might be acting out in total sadness, um, depression. I mean, kids being depressed is totally on the rise, not always because of abuse, but it just in general is on the rise. So telling them, describing that waves analogy hey when you're sad it might feel like a wave and just really building that word picture up to them can you picture a wave at the ocean when we've gone to the beach have you ever been pummeled by a wave where it just spun you all around you know when I'm sad sometimes I feel like that's a wave coming over me but do you remember how when you and I have walked out into the ocean and we were holding hands we could get, we could, that wave could hit us, but we could, we stayed on our feet together because we were together in the wave. Well, your sadness is a lot easier to go through when you have somebody, you know, and just really building that word picture out for them. Right. Um, you can say things like, hey, one of my jobs as your parent is to give you an emotional toolbox. You know how we have that toolbox in the garage and it's got all sorts of tools to fix things and repair things? Well, one of my jobs as your parent is to give you an emotional toolbox and I'll give you lots of different tools as you grow up. And one of the ones I'm going to give you is, and then you could teach them about the waves. Now you have that in your emotional toolbox. 
So when you're feeling sad, you go to your toolbox and you say, what tool do I have to help me through this wave? Oh, I know. I'm supposed to get somebody to come to stand by me to rub my back or to give me a hug when I'm going through that wave. Um, that emotional toolbox is a perfect word analogy. And then I think in the biggest, besides helping them have a healthy view of themselves and where their value and their worth comes from, the next biggest thing is to teach them healthy boundaries. Right. Um, and I've found the best way to do that is use the analogy of a yard. I mean, there's all kinds of books on boundaries, like um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. They have a whole series of boundaries books now. The classic one came out, I don't know how many years ago, 20 or 30 yeah, years ago? Yeah, I think I actually, shoot, I might have that downstairs. Yeah. Like, I read that book in college, like it was part of my yes. curriculum. And that was a good, it's a good, yes. legit. It is good. It's a good, Yeah, you it's know, a classic. It's black and white, yeah. And there's now boundaries for kids, kids boundaries right. for teens. So I absolutely would be referencing those. But part of the reason that oppression or abuse got set up is because there wasn't a healthy set of boundaries within the home. One person had no or very little boundaries and the other person had the vast majority of the power and control. And that sets up the oppressive dynamic or the abuse dynamic. So to shift that dynamic, the victim has to, has to start building healthy, godly boundaries. And boundaries are all over scripture. We see them right. all over. I mean, it, it, God is a God of boundaries. He set, he, and you will build the Ark of the Covenant this way. And, on, and I made the ocean and the land to keep the ocean in. I mean, you can see boundaries all over scripture. So helping kids to see, hey, what's a healthy boundary you can have? And you can describe boundaries as yards. And I can't remember where I heard this. I'm sure it was not an original thought because I don't have any original thoughts. (laughs) But um, so I wish I could give credit where credit's due, but I just can't remember. But... (laughs) I would say um, teaching your kids that boundaries are like yards. You have a yard, and in your yard you have your own weeds, you have your own grass. You get to you get to deal with your weeds however you want. If you want to let your weeds grow and have them take over your life and make your life really difficult, you can. Right. Or you can work on weeding your yard and getting your yard more healthy. You also have a fence around your yard, and it's not a tall fence. It's maybe like, mm, Maybe it comes up to your chest, so you can still see your neighbor on the other side of the fence. But it is a fence, and in, and that fence has a gate, and you can build this word picture. And people are welcome to come to the gate and say, hey, can I come in your yard? Can I come into your life? And you can say, yes, I'd love to have you come into my life or come into my yard. Or you can say, nope, now's not a good time, or no, I don't feel safe having you in my yard. Or, no, you, you touched me inappropriately. I mean, so this can go... Oh, right. Lots you can teach. Right. You can teach, you know, sexual abuse prevention using this yard analogy. Absolutely. Nobody gets to be in your yard unless you invite them. Type of a thing. You know, it, that does need to be balanced with. Hey, I'm the parent. You can't tell me to get out of your right. yard. <laughs> right. Yeah. And kids will take it to that length, but you get the idea. 
And then you can explain how there are some people who don't honor those gates. or they're, And not only do they not honor the gates, but they'll just plow right over the fences and break down your fence and just insert themselves into your life. And that's not okay. That's not okay. So when that kid on the playground pushed you down, he just he was a boundary blower. He just blew right through your boundary of, I deserve to be treated with kindness and respect, and that's the way I also am going to treat everybody else. So I'm just sort of, I'm trying to give parents some language to help kids see this very vividly because they can relate to yards. They can relate to waves. Right. And these are huge emotional um, emotional issues that they can't see the big emotional issues, but boy, can they get a yard or can they can get a, a wave. Right. And they can get an emotional toolbox. They get those things. Well, and... Also with what I'm hearing you say, too, is that you're basically saying you empower your kids. Yes. In every level that you possibly can. With I should have t- shut up like 10 minutes ago and just let you say that. Well, no. no. Well, we need all the imagery. Hello. I'm gonna, I, I just like mentally took those down, okay? Um, the yards and the... Yes. I was thinking about what I've told Ruthie especially, but I haven't really talked to... I mean, I need to expand more on that stuff because but like in the dynamic of the home where there has been abuse in the home Uh so you have empowering the kids you know outside and inside I mean they can recognize well mom you know you this dad did this and then they look at your actions too Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what like in your situation or in someone whose situation where they saw clearly like, all right, this is, this is, this is not good. This has happened. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to get the kids Mm -hmm. okay. And all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of the role that I think you've usually the victim has to, has, is playing cleanup behind the wake of destruction that the oppressor has left behind. Another thing to add to the, yeah. Because you didn't have enough on your plate already. Right. <laughs> so just now just that. go clean up all the yeah. mess. Yes. But the good news is with that is that they see you as someone who is playing out all of those things. Yes. I will not take this. I will not. Yeah. And I will, I, I, I will be in relationship with you if you treat me with dignity and respect. If you mm-hmm. don't yell at me, if you don't name call me, mm-hmm. if you are not belittling me. And you don't have these conversations in front of the kids, of course. Right. But they will, they will notice the change. If they're old enough, they will notice the change. Now, it would be awesome if your kids were young enough and you made the change early on enough in their lives right. where they didn't have to see the devastation that is oppressive or toxic but they are empowered by your strength and so when they see and it's the classic airline stewardess flight attendant spiel that you get at the beginning of your flight you have to put your own mask on before you can start helping your kids so you have to get strong and educated on the reality of what has happened to you and what's happening in your home and the devastation it's causing and start putting into place those boundaries, start gathering books, people to help you get educated. Well, and, and in the wake of destruction, I think I kind of started talking about this too. It's like 
the time where you find out D-Day mm-hmm. to the time where you're gaining enough strength to tackle what the kids need and not need mm-hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. That, that time period where you're really just like that to where you said where you're processing where the shit hit the fan basically. Yes. yes. Um, and the kids are right there watching oh, every little thing. I mean, you're sh- hiding tears or you're tearing up or I don't know. I don't know. Um, like some things that maybe you could say to the kids while you're actually like literally living out the, yeah. the hellish moments. In those moments, I would talk about the waves. Hey guys, I'm really sad right now. There's an adult issue in my life, but I'm strong and I know how to handle adult issues. So will you guys pray for me? And here, I want to teach you about waves. And okay. then you talk about your waves. And so it, it, it takes off the scary for the kids. Okay. When they see mom crying, that's instantly scary for kids. Right. But if you explain, I'm just in a wave. And, and here's what we do when somebody is in a wave. We give them a hug. We pray for them. I mean, some of the most amazing prayers have been prayed by my kids over me. Wow. In the midst of a wave. And they don't even know why there's a wave. They don't need to know. Right. They don't need to know. Right. But talk about the faith of a child in right. those moments. It's incredible to see their faith in what God can do in their family's lives as they pray for a mom who's going through a wave. And they name it. They have language for it. And then it becomes not scary. It becomes an absolute thing of beauty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's... That's huge. It is huge. And you are serving them so well by giving them tools in their emotional toolbox that will stop the cycle of abuse and oppression and lead them into healthy adult relationships. Well, and you even being, and anyone listening to, being honest and saying, kids, it ain't easy right now. The wave yeah. is strong. Or, yes. you know, that, that they're seeing you in suffering and as uncomfortable that is, I mean, I think a lot of people, because they're not, maybe people aren't going to want to go and tell their kids like, oh, well, this is happening, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're yeah. not going to give the details per se. No. But they even would even go too far as say, oh, I'm fine. Oh, that's the biggest lie to oh, tell I'm, your kids. Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, I don't want to. And that happens. Yes. I, I'm guilty of it. Because you don't want to have them hurt or you don't yes. want them to see you hurt. And it just yeah. is not. First of all, it goes against how what they feel. Yes. Already. It's telling them what you're feeling isn't right. So just shut it off and I'll tell you how to feel. Yeah. Cuz they know how you feel. Yes. They know something's up. Yeah. That's the bottom line too is that regardless of how much you tell your kids or how little you tell or them or how little you tell mm-hmm. them, they know something is going yeah. on. So the it is so absolutely the best to at least Give them language for it. Give them language for what is exactly going on and to be alive in the moment and don't excuse it. And let them see you come through that wave. And, I mean, this is goes back to humor. Humor is such a powerful tool. If you, can, if you have a snotty nose and you're crying in the midst of your wave and you have three little kids around you and you snot all over the floor, laugh about it. Right. And be like... Oh my gosh, I just not find the funny. Find, find the, funny the funny to lighten it. Kids will because that just normalizes it for them and makes it a safe, healthy emotion instead of oh no, what do I I'm feeling sad. I got to put this in a box far, far away because nobody wants to 
know about my sadness. It's like, no, it's out there. And in, in times we can even laugh about it. Right. And then it's, it's just becomes a way of life for them that will serve them so far into the future. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I like when I'm crying and stuff, I like having kids around. I mean, do you kind of, why? <laughs> Cuz I feel so like you can watch your snot fall on the floor. No, I mean, I guess it depends on what I'm crying about, but they just make me feel good. And I don't I'm not saying that I'm not like using them to make me feel good, like no. oh, make me feel yes. good, you know, all that stuff, but they just have a way of lightening it yes. to where I can where I can find the humor or yes. take the edge off a little bit or just I don't know. I mean, I don't have any problem crying in front of my kids really. I don't think I Yeah. Well, I mean, I have not been hit with something where, well, yeah, there have been times where I have like ugly cried, yeah, and wanted to be by myself in that way. But Mm -hmm. like in the times of just, I'm really having a hard day, you know, you know, that kind of stuff, then I just. And I think instead of telling your kids you're fine, a better phrase could be, I will be okay because I know how to handle waves. And even just you speaking the words out loud of what what you how you know you're going to handle this emotion you are um very subtly coaching them on how How they're going to handle their emotions and not and not and absolutely have the emotions yes and p.s my kids will not know i did this podcast because then they'll know all my tricks But you also live out the trick. It's not tricks. It's your life. It's who yes. you are. Yeah. You're just putting words to already what you yes. are doing. Yeah. And living. Yeah. And stuff. So mm-hmm. it's good. Mm-hmm. And it's going to serve them for their generations too. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I've really seen through this process of talking to you is just how not only do you have you have so much knowledge about all of this stuff, but like how I've seen in your life, like in the snippets of things that you've told me are just yeah, the overarching things yeah. that you really, really, really did take something absolutely devastating and are actually really, really, really grabbing hold of it and, and, and just like running with it and, and making good of it. Mm-hmm. Like it is so interesting to me that I have a master's degree in counseling This is what I loved to do before I got into a destructive relationship. And then I lived in a destructive relationship for 18 years. And all my giftings, all my natural giftings that I believe God gave me are still here. And now it's go time. Now it's time to use them. And I just feel like what a, I mean, I never would have written this story, never in a million years as the way to see what I am called to do. But it is, it's an absolute clear calling now. It is a clear calling. I see it like, whoa. But just this afternoon, I wanted to crawl in a hole and hide my kids away and never talk publicly again about this again. (laughs) That is part of the package. It's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. Yes. Yes. But it's clear. I mean... Well, whatever scraps of my story God can use. And I literally mean that. That's not like some Christian euphemism. Like, I feel like I have scraps. But if it can help one other person out of a destructive relationship, then it it redeems my own story for sure. Right. Well, and I guarantee you that 
it will. Well, I, I truly believe my kids are better because of they, they've walked through this trial. I am better because I have walked through this trial. Like, in our case, it's the shittiest gift we've ever been given. Right. Truly. Right. But it's a gift nonetheless. Yeah. Well, and I just heard you say, too, it's like um, walk through. Mm-hmm. Those words, like walking through, like that is life, you know. I mean, there's no escaping no. crap. Yeah. That's for sure. But there's something about walking through it, though, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like mm-hmm. walking through it, not just putting it aside, yeah. stuffing it. Um, yeah. Walking through it, owning it, living it. Or turning around and walking the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, like, even people that fight addiction, even the people that are are abusers, even ones that are, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. they have not walked through it, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. they're supposed to or what, you know what I mean? Like, There's always issues. There's pain behind there. There's things buried. There's this. There's a why behind the addiction. Right. Yeah. There's a why. So with your kids... And you and people watching and listening, it's like when you're walking through it, you will be going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And shittiest yeah. gift. Yeah. Yet you're, I mean, but yet so much to gain. Yeah, so it's crazy. much to gain. It's crazy how that and can I, turn like that. I know. Well, and I think with abuse in particular, my counselor always says there's no Switzerland in abuse. Like there's no neutrality. If you are silent about it, you are siding with it, whether you're in it or a bystander or an onlooker of it. So how can I, having walked, having lived this story that God has written on our, on our family, how can I be a Switzerland? How can I just sit by and say, I'm going to be neutral on the issue of oppression and abuse when it is not neutral in scripture? It is not neutral in this grand history of humanity right it has never been a switzerland so why would i ever think i could stand by and be neutral knowing what i know now and knowing especially in my little tiny i'm one tiny drop in the river of christianity and yet it's it's pervasive in the Christian church specifically. Yeah, and we talked about that earlier yeah. too, just how, and would that go under like spiritual abuse? I don't know, but mm-hmm. like how the church really does need to own up to some of this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happening. Oh it's yeah, happening. it's happening. It's happening in a lot of undertones, a lot of yeah. just, you know, it's given Christianity the wrong yes. beat. And I can tell you this, God don't like it. <laughs> Which is why the, the once a glimmer of light is shed on the darkness of oppression or abuse, it's almost like, and I get a front row seat when I help these women all over the country, I get a front row seat to watch. There is a glimmer of light of is shining in on the darkness of their marriage. And once that glimmer of light comes, it's like the doors of justice blow right open and the darkness is absolutely imploded and light shines on it and truth is brought to the forefront and and these women get clarity and these kids become strong or if if it's the man who's been abused he gets Mm -hmm. he realizes what's happened to him but all it takes is a tiny sliver 
of dragging this evil into the light. And then it's almost like God takes over and implodes the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. A sliver of light. Yeah. Yeah. And that might be just a woman getting strong enough to have one conversation and telling one person what's happening to her. That might be the sliver of light she needs. Yeah. Wow. You're very brave to do this yeah. series. <laughs> you too. Very brave. You too. I mean, I just, again, I'm just so thankful that you've come on to talk about all this stuff. Um, LindsayMcDonald.com. I will have, I will have books that she recommended. Um, her website is up. Barely. Barely. But by the time you're listening to this, it will be. Um, Garon Teed. And you can always contact me. I will get you to Lindsay. And send in your questions. If and you send want in to. questions. I mean, get your answers. And get your answers answered. Get your questions answered. <laughs> it is now 1048. Um, we need to go to wow, bed. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> golly. And now I'm all fired up. I think I, I, I was like yawning like halfway. Just like listening and just like my body was telling me something that my mind wasn't I don't know um but well I have to say you are braver than brave to take the it's not a fun topic and we don't want to talk about these hard things so yeah you go girl you are strong to say I'm gonna expose this you are exposing your little corner of the world to the insidiousness that oppression and abuse is and that's not that's not for the weak people. Well, for I sure. don't see it any other way because there's too many people freaking suffering. Yeah. And yeah, I don't even, it, to me, it's just, it's a no brainer, but yeah. I, I, I guess I see what you're, I mean, it's just kind of, yeah. No, just wh- say thank you. Thank it's you. <laughs> it is what it, thank you. <laughs> and, um, thank you for coming. Yes. And, thank um, you for having me. Thank you for listening. You guys, uh, like I said, we'll have all the information. Um, have a wonderful day or night, and we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to This Topical Life with Tiffany Murphy. Available through Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Donations to help support This Topical Life can be made through Patreon at patreon.com. That's P A. T-R-E-O-N dot com front slash this topical life. Likes and comments are always appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time for more real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. Because life ain't a vacation.